Hello everyone, welcome to the Terminator Training Show. I am Kevin Smith, your host. It is just before 6 a.m. on the 30th of April. Uh, we are here ready to do a Q&A podcast. Uh, I have eight questions here and I have briefly glanced at them, but and a few of them I've answered on Instagram, but for the most part, they're all new questions. So I thought I would just do a quick Q&A episode, hopefully quick. We'll see if it's quick. It's morning, and I usually have the most energy of the day in the morning. I usually get the most done in the morning. So if I get if I become long-winded, I apologize in advance. A few people have asked me, before we start out, a few people have asked me what the name of my company slash show, Terminator Training Method, comes from. And so I thought I'd just share that real quick. For some reason, I work in a so I work in a small like team in the military and for some reason my teammates think that some of my characteristics resemble Terminator. Now I would never ever ever in my lifetime compare myself to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is a legend as far as uh, physical ability, presence, charisma, etc. But for some reason, people think I resemble a termina- Terminator. My mannerisms or whatever, and just like kind of my attitude towards life. So that's kind of where I got the nickname and it kind of stuck. And as you guys know, my name is Kevin Smith. So when I was trying to come up with a name for everything, I mean, Kevin Smith's one of the most popular freaking names on the planet. So I couldn't find anything that hadn't already been taken. So I kind of just went with Terminator and I like it. I know everyone probably doesn't like it, but I think it's kind of an original, cool name. And yeah, we'll see where it takes us. So anyway, uh, let's get started with the questions. Some I've got eight of them. We'll see if I can get to all eight and hopefully, I don't know. I hate to give myself a time hack, but we'll say 45 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe less, maybe more. We'll see. So here we go. Number one is should I or should I not wear sunscreen? So highly controversial topic, whether or not people should wear sunscreen. And the answer is it depends on lots and lots of factors. So I will start by saying people who put sunscreen on before they even get out into the sun are really missing a lot of benefits of sun exposure. Sun exposure is something that humans were designed to to, to get. So the sun, your skin and your eyes both have receptors in them that getting sun in and on can really help you in multiple ways. So I've mentioned this before, but getting sun in the morning on your skin and in your eyes is going to help you set your circadian rhythm. It's going to improve your sleep. It's also going to improve your mood. Getting sun in general is going to raise your levels of vitamin D. Vitamin D is important in several bodily functions. 
It's good for your skin. It's good for your bones. It's good for your immune system. It helps you sleep. It helps regulate your hormones. It is super important. And most people do not have sufficient levels of vitamin D. Not only because they don't get enough sun, but they just don't. If you don't get enough sun and you don't supplement with vitamin D, there's almost no way that you're going to have sufficient levels of vitamin D. So especially if you live in a place where there's not a lot of sun or you just don't go outside very much or it's winter time and there's the sun's barely shines in the winter time or you live in a city and at this the buildings and whatnot blocks out the sun i highly recommend supplement supplementing with vitamin d so that all that being said in order to get vitamin d from the sun you need to not have sunscreen on and preferably you want to expose as much skin as possible to the sun as you can now the sun, I like to use an analogy to training. So sun exposure compared to training. So if you have not been in the sun for a really long time and you go spend a bunch of time in the sun, you're going to pay for it. You're going to burn, right? The same way you would if, if you haven't trained for a while and you go train super hard, you're going to be sore for several days. It's not good for you. It's not good just like it's not good to get super sunburnt, it's not good to train way too hard when you're when you're detrained. However, if you slowly build your sun tolerance so you get small amounts of sun each day and your skin adapts to it, so you're not getting burnt, you're just slowly building your sun tolerance, you're getting a quote-unquote base. That is a much more effective and a much healthier way to go about it. Likewise, if you haven't trained for a long time and you want to make progress, which means you probably want to train a couple times per week at minimum, you're going to train, you're not going to train super hard on the first day. You're not going to go kill it with like 20 sets of squats and, and whatever. So your body can adapt and build a tolerance to it. I like to use that analogy because most people understand that. Most people have experienced, if you're listening to this show, you've probably gone into the gym and trained way too hard and been sore for way too long and been like, wow, I should not have gone that hard. And you've probably been sunburnt. I think we've all been sunburnt. So the, the, the real answer to the question is you, you should not use sunscreen like most people use sunscreen. That being said, you should, if you, if you cannot avoid being in the sun for long periods of time and you need sunscreen in order to avoid getting a sunburn, you should wear sunscreen. However, most sunscreens are full of crap. They're full of chemicals that literally your, your skin absorb, anything you put on your skin, your skin absorbs and your body actually, it actually like goes into your system. So most conventional sunscreens are full of terrible chemicals. They're terrible for your health. They fuck with your hormones. It's not good. There are a couple of different types of sunscreens that are much healthier for you and they won't affect your health nearly as much as uh, the conventional ones. So you're looking for the two types of sunscreens you're looking for are a uh, 
zinc-based sunscreen and a and or a titanium dioxide-based sunscreen. You're just like you read food ingredients, you should also read sun ingredient or sunscreen ingredients. And your the ingredients shouldn't have a bunch of stuff that you can't pronounce. They shouldn't there shouldn't be more than a couple ingredients in your sunscreen. Now, this sunscreen, be aware that it turns you it's very hard to rub in and you kind of turn whitish blue when you put it on. However, if you're going to wear sunscreen, that's what I recommend wearing. And I also recommend not putting it on immediately before you even get exposed to the sun. I think dermatologists and doctors have scared the living shit out of us about getting exposed to the sun and how terrible it is for you. But very few people ever mention how terrible all the ingredients are in most sunscreens are for you. So basically bottom line is you want some sun exposure, but you don't want to burn. So the best ways to do that are to slowly build tolerance over time. Get in the shade if you can, um, if, if you're getting too much sun or if you're about to get too much sun. Put clothing on, put sunscreen on, but only the good types of sunscreen and you should be fine. On this kind of same topic, ensure that some, some of the sunlight you get you should not be wearing sunglasses. I freaking love sunglasses. I wear sunglasses a lot, but I never wear them in the morning when I'm trying to set my circadian rhythm. And I also try and take them off throughout the day here and there. Um, eye exposure to sunlight is extremely important. Now you're not gonna go stare at the sun. That's not smart. But being outside with your eyes open in the sun without sunglasses on is very healthy and very important. So. Keep those things in mind. Let's move on to the next question. What are good sleep tracking watches? So I would say in the next question, I'll, I'll, I'll read both of these questions and kind of answer them together. So what are good sleep tracking watches? And then is whoop or an aura ring an effective tool? So those kind of, I'll, I'll explain why those kind of combine. For those of you who know, you probably can understand why I combine those two questions. Good sleep tracking watches, I mean, I wear a Garmin. I I don't know how accurate it is as far as tracking my deep sleep, my REM sleep. And if you don't if you want to know more about sleep, go back to my last episode and listen to it. You'll I'll explain all these things in that. I'm not gonna go over it again and bore you guys, but I'm not sure how accurate it is, but uh, it's consistent. I mean, when I wake up and feel rested, my sleep data reflects it and vice versa. So if I have a great night of sleep, I usually look at my sleep data, usually not first thing in the morning, usually not later on in the day, because it can kind of, I'll get to this in a second, but it can kind of mess with you mentally, or some people at least. And I'll look at it later on, and I'm like, yeah, I knew it. I got a bunch of deep sleep, bunch of REM sleep. That's why I feel so much energy. That's why I feel so good. So not sure how accurate it is, but it's very consistent. And that's the same with like a calorie burn. Uh, I would not trust your your smartwatches for calorie burn accuracy, but I would trust them for calorie burn consistency. And uh, also step count. Those are, they're pretty consistent, which means it may not say you burn four. It says you burn four thousand calories. That may be off by several hundred, uh, but it it it's going to consistently give you a number that 
kind of reflects on your activity during the day. So don't rely on it for if you're trying to eat at calorie maintenance, but it, it is consistent and it's, it's consistent with sleep as well. Um, now whoop and aura rings are definitely more effective sleep tools for tracking your sleep. They're more accurate as, as, to the best of my knowledge. Now I used a whoop in the past and I stopped using it because I am someone who kind of gets effect when I look at my data. So whoop, basically whoop is just a strap you wear around your wrist and it tracks your sleep, your sleep quality, your it tracks your HRV, which I personally do not think that you can accurately track HRV with a with a wristwatch or a, a wrist strap. I, I don't think it's accurate. However, I think the sleep tracking is accurate, the heart rate tracking is ac- somewhat accurate. Um, but it would kind of I would look at my sleep scores and it if it was if I was in the red, which is basically you had a bad night of sleep, you're not recovered, or the yellow even, which means you're kind of like not terribly recovered, but not in the green, which means like you got a great night of sleep, you're ready to crush that day. It would get to me mentally. So yes, it's a great tool. And it's if you want to start tracking your sleep, I would recommend actually looking into the whoop or the aura ring i think the aura ring is probably more common and more uh, proven effective than the whoop i'm not sure the difference in price i want to say they're pretty similar but uh, aura ring is just a ring that you wear around your finger and it does basically the same thing it tracks your sleep your sleep quality gives you like trends and whatnot and it tracks your hrv how effectively i'm not sure hrv is essentially if your HRV is high, that means you're well recovered and you're well rested and your nervous system is well recovered and well rested and you're not in a sympathetic driven state. So you're not in a fight or flight state. So you want your HRV to be high in order for you to train hard that day. If your HRV is low, it's kind of the opposite. It means you're very sympathetic. You're very fight or flight. You haven't recovered adequately enough to go crush a workout these are very like these things really only matter if you're like extremely dialed in and extremely consistent and you're training really hard they're really good for like athletes and whatnot back in earlier in my career i used to train significantly more often than i do now i trained for strictly performance endurance strength and I didn't take my recovery nearly as seriously. I used to drink a couple beers a night, like, but I used to train two to three times a day. And while you can definitely make gains and progress doing that, you really have to look at the rest of your life and how stressful the rest of your life is. Like, if you have a stressful job and you're training and you're a stressful freaking family life, stressful relationship, and you're training two times a day your stress bucket is just overflowing. So anyway, kind of got off track there, but whoop or rings somewhat effective. Uh, They can give you a good idea of how you're sleeping. I think it's not required, but very important to track your sleep. Just if, if you want to actually think of ways to optimize it, they also ask you like little quiz questions. Like, did you drink before bed? 
when was your last caffeine intake? When's the last time you used tobacco? Um, what uh, did you read before bed or did you watch TV? Stuff like that. So that way you can like, when you answer those questions honestly, you can see, oh, well tonight I didn't take my magnesium and I watched TV till right before bed and look, my sleep score sucked. Or, hey, tonight I read before bed, stretched, didn't drink coffee afternoon and took the right amount of magnesium with dinner, finished my dinner, you know, two hours before bed, and wow, I slept like 98%. So that's kind of cool uh, for some people. Some people love data, some people don't. Some people just like to get up and go by how they feel. That's more what I do now. But I still do look at my sleep uh, via my Garmin watch, and I'm pretty satisfied with that. So hopefully that answers those two questions. Let's move to the next one. How can I be more productive without sacrificing sleep? Okay. So again, for more on sleep, listen to my last episode. I highly recommend just educating yourself on sleep. A lot of people don't understand. They they understand that like nutrition and exercise are super important to make changes and be a better human being overall. But a lot of people don't understand that sleep is a super huge factor in just optimizing your life and your health, your performance mentally and physically and emotionally. So productivity, a lot of people get kind of confused. So productivity doesn't mean just doing more shit and being more busy. It doesn't mean that. Maybe to some people it means that, but the productivity we're looking for has to do with efficiency. So you're getting either more done in less time, the same amount done, in less time or more done in the same amount of time. So in order to do this, you need to be well rested. So if you're going to sacrifice one thing to have more time in the day, sleep should be probably the last one. I recommend even um, sacrificing a workout. If you have a bunch of shit to do and you, you can either get up two hours earlier and get your workout in and then go about your day and do all your stuff or you can sleep skip your workout and do all your stuff that you need to do i recommend option b sleeping it's more important if you're not sleeping your nutrition and your exercise will suffer and they're almost it's almost a waste of time to do it once in a blue moon no problem but to do it all the time is a terrible strategy. You are, when you sleep adequately and you sleep enough, you're getting way more done and you're way more effective. So you can get more done in more in less time. So being well-rested is uh, super important for productivity. It's super important to be efficient with your time. And a lot of people make that mistake where they they, the sleep is the first thing to go, and I think that's a huge mistake. And I think just, the like I said at the beginning of the question, educating yourself on sleep is super important. I highly recommend reading Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. It's an incredibly detailed, and it's an easy-to-read book. He doesn't. He's a super smart dude. I also re- recommend listening to his podcast, The Model Health Show. He's a super smart dude. Everybody loves him. Very charismatic. And he's very, uh, but he, but even though he's smart, he doesn't try and show it off 
in his book. He tries to make it very understandable for people to read. And actually, he has he includes like 21 tips throughout the book in order to not only sleep more, but optimize your sleep and sleep well. Get restful, recover. Get restful sleep where you recover adequately each day. So highly recommend educating yourself on sleep and not not um, sacrificing it to be more productive. All right, next question. Is CrossFit a good workout modality? Here we go. All right, so I one of my first blog posts was on CrossFit and why it is not a good workout modality for most people. If you are a competitive CrossFit athlete and you have extremely, you're young, I would say under 30, you have very good genetics, you have a very good coach that understands more than just CrossFit, understands everything about fitness and everything about programming and everything about how to recover and whatnot. And like I said, you are a competitive CrossFitter, so not just like a weekend warrior CrossFitter, but a competitive one where you actually like go to regionals or go to the freaking have a chance to go to regionals, have a chance to go to the Rogue Invitational, have a chance to go to the CrossFit Games. CrossFit obviously is a good workout modality because that's your sport. And that's why that's what I think CrossFit should be considered more of. It should be considered more of a sport and not a workout modality for 99.9% of the population. So there are many reasons for this. Uh, first of all, most CrossFit coaches don't really, they get like a 48 hour training session before they become level one certified. So they go for this one weekend long event where they get certified as the as a level one CrossFit coach. And these guys are then able to work in gyms and they're responsible for the health, well-being and uh, workout programs of all the people that go to the CrossFit gym, which is quite a few people. And these are all, these are people ranging from like young youngsters to old Jane from down the block, who's 54 and postmenopausal. And I'll get into it in a second, but should not be doing CrossFit workouts. So that's, that's one big issue I have with it is the lack of, now there are, don't get me wrong, there are several, plenty of coaches that get way more training than this and that understand that just a weekend certification is not enough and they have to educate themselves further. There's, I'm not sure how many levels of CrossFit coaches there are, but there's more than just a level one. And there are some CrossFit coaches that are very good at programming. But that being said, the best CrossFit programs don't involve a lot of CrossFit workouts. They involve Olympic lifting workouts, they involve strength-based workouts, they involve hypertrophy-based workouts, and they involve some conditioning. They don't necessarily throw all those into one workout like a lot of general CrossFit workouts are. So another issue I have with CrossFit is while intensity is something more people need in their lives, in their workouts, the intensity parameters for CrossFit are just too much for most people. So like I said earlier, training is a stress and the type of training you do can really affect how your body reacts and adapts to the stress that it is. So going into the gym, lifting weights to get stronger. Yes, that's a stress, but it's a good stress. It's going to make you stronger. You're going to adapt to it over time. Your body's going to become better uh, at dealing with that stress. 
But when you go into the gym and absolutely destroy yourself in a CrossFit wad or workout of the day, that involves just basically being at a red line heart rate the entire time. You are, for most people, like I said, for most people, that is just overfilling their stress bucket for the day or for the week if you do it or for the month or however long you do CrossFit. So people who do CrossFit, they they wonder why, wow, they feel so good after a workout, but then the other 22 hours of the day, they feel tired and run down. Why? Because they're, they're in sympathetic overdrive most of the time. So they have very high cortisol levels. Their body's just kind of running on a sympathetic fight or flight nervous system driven state all day long. And they, it's hard for them to chill out. They don't sleep well. A lot of them don't eat enough to fuel their training. And it's just not great. Other issues I have with it, uh, the programming of Olympic lifts for high reps, for A, high reps, and B, under fatigue. So Olympic lifts are the, the uh, clean and the, the clean and jerk and the snatch. So a lot of times uh, you won't do the clean and jerk. You'll do the, just the clean You'll do barbell snatches. I think uh, most of the population on the planet should avoid barbell snatches. If you love Olympic lifting and you have a good coach and you want to learn it, that's great. It's a very cool and technical lift, but it's super dangerous. And most people should not be doing it at all, let alone as part of a workout where you're already tired. Add to that. Doing, doing it for more than one rep. So Olympic lifting in the Olympics, the best Olympic lifters in the world, guess how many reps they do? One. They do one rep. And CrossFit has found a, for some reason they found a way to program these Olympic lifts, either the snatch or the clean and jerk or just the clean or whatever it may be, into a workout wad workout of the day and they do it for several reps and the person's already tired when they go into it these lifts are very high skill and they're very high skill lifts are also high danger lifts and they're they're probably the two most dangerous the the snatch for sure is the most dangerous lift you can do cleans are right up there Improperly performed deadlifts are right up there, but and that's another thing that I'll get into in a second. But that's a huge problem I have. Another speaking of high reps, another issue I have. So the box jump is a great exercise when done properly, but the way CrossFit does them, they do several box jumps over and over and over again as a form of like as a way to just like make you tired. So the box jump is a plyometric exercise. It is used to increase your vertical jump. And the reason you do it onto a box is so it limits the impact of landing. You're jumping as high as you possibly can and you're landing at near the top of your jump instead of jumping as high as you can and coming back all the way down to the ground. So the proper way to do a box jump is A, for low reps. So I like to do, for plyometrics, I, I like to use the three to five rule. This is an Andy Galpin rule, so I did not make this up. Andy Galpin's like a world-renowned strength coach and just a super smart dude. Uh, but it's the three to five rule. You do three to five sets for three to five reps with three to five minutes of rest in between 
for plyometrics. You can do that with a lot of lifting uh, exercises too, but you don't do, you know, I don't know, 50 consecutive box jumps with a weighted vest on for time as fast as possible. That is just a recipe for disaster. So not only are you eliminating the purpose of landing on a box, the, 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 you're not helping yourself reduce the impact by landing on the box if you jump right back off the box. Add to that, you're not only jumping back off the box, but you're like springing back up off the ground to get back onto the box, which a lot of people tear their, their Achilles tendons, especially regular people, everyday people who are going into the gym stressed like I just talked about. They tear their Achilles doing box jumps or you are super fatigued and you're on this wooden box because CrossFit gyms think it's smart to have all these wooden boxes with like jagged edges. And I've seen it several times. You're getting really tired, you can't jump high enough, or you just like you lose focus or whatever because you're doing so many freaking reps of it and you don't quite make it up onto the box and you go shin first or shins first into the corner of the box. I have seen some nasty shin injuries from that. And even if you don't tear your Achilles or break your shin or cut open your skin on your shin, you are still getting more impact than you would be just jumping up and down as high as possible because usually the box height is higher than your actual foot height would be on a jump. So a lot of times when people do box jumps, I like to do box jumps where I land with straight legs because so I'm actually jumping the height of the box. So that's like a lower box jump. I don't think it's that impressive when people do like a 50 inch box jump, but they bring their, but they bring their feet up to their, face basically to land on the box but if you're jumping the right height you're getting about the same impact but if you're jumping higher which most people do then they can actually jump because they're bringing their feet up you're getting more impact so that's just i don't know no thought went into that type of program programming um and i don't know high rep olympic lifting and high rep box jumps should just never be a thing Another thing is kipping pull-ups. Kipping pull-ups are, uh, for 99.999% of the population, basically the only two exceptions are, like I said earlier, high-level CrossFit athletes and perhaps gymnasts. Those are the only people who should do kipping pull-ups. And CrossFit has them programmed frequently. A lot of people will say, oh, I can do 42 pull-ups. Well, how many real pull-ups can you do? Like actual pull-ups, not like swinging around through the air and shredding your rotator cuff type pull-ups because that's what it is like unless you have incredible shoulder mobility and stability which is very few people in the world do and unless you can do like i would say over 20 dead hang body weight pull-ups you should never even consider doing a kipping pull-up they are a not a good muscle building workout they're b extremely dangerous and c most people do them wrong and again, most people do them under fatigue. You'll go do like, I don't know, 12 set, twelve reps of uh, push press so your shoulders are shot. And then you go hang from a pull-up bar and kip and use all this body language and swinging and momentum. And it's just, it, it A, it looks dumb. And B, it it is dumb. It's not smart if you want to lift for a long period of time. If you want to lift for a couple months, 
and get super fit and enjoy it, like go for it. But if you want to live for a long time, which if you want to be healthy for a long time, you should want to live for a long time. Uh, kipping pull-ups, not, not smart at all. Uh, even most people, well, I'll be honest here and this, I might get some flack for this, but most people shouldn't even be doing regular pull-ups because most people don't do them right. They shrug their shoulders forward um, and they use their biceps and they have their shoulders in a terrible position. A lot of people could that do pull-ups incorrectly that have shoulder pain, one of the reasons is because they do pull-ups. Uh, there are better, better options for most people. If you're really strong and you have great form, pull-ups are phenomenal. But um, most... The fact is most people shouldn't do pull-ups. Uh, rack rack pull-ups, rack chin-ups, pull-ups with a band so that your body is in a better position. You're more of a lean back and you can bring your shoulders back. And pull-ups are also more of an upper back ex- exercise than a lat exercise. Totally off topic, but anyway. So what else about CrossFit? So I mentioned before, CrossFit's a, a sport, right? It should be treated as such. If you are trying to get fit and healthy do you think that you should train like lebron james do you think you should just play basketball all the time and to get as fit and healthy as possible probably not so do you think to get as fit as health and healthy as possible you should train like matt frazier the crossfit basically the best crossfitter of all time probably not being a extreme athlete and being healthy are two different things. There's a difference between health and extreme performance. A, quite a big difference. Um, pushing yourself to that level is not healthy. It's amazing what CrossFitters are able to do. I have nothing but respect for uh, CrossFit Games athletes. I think they're absolutely insane. I just don't think it's a good workout modality for most people. If you want to live for a long time, if you want to speed your metabolism up, because most CrossFit workouts... Most standard CrossFit workouts that aren't well-programmed don't have much of a muscle-building hypertrophy um, piece to them. The reason CrossFit athletes at high levels look pretty jacked is because they're genetic freaks, A, and because they're, they have extremely good coaches that program that program them properly, and they actually build muscle, and they eat a shit ton of food. And they don't destroy themselves every day. The, th- the only times these guys are destroying themselves are occasionally during training. And then they bring it all together for competition and they go all out. But if if Matt Frazier, Rich Froning, let's, let's use Rich Froning for an example. He won the CrossFit Games, I think, four years in a row back early on in CrossFit. He And he's jacked and ripped and looks phenomenal. And he's just a freak. If that dude did bodybuilding, he would look even more insane. So CrossFit, yeah, you can build some muscle from it, but only when it's well-programmed and only if you're eating properly, sleeping properly. Like these dudes tr- like dedicate their entire lives to being good at CrossFit. Um, and most regular people don't have that, and that's totally fine. You'd be much better off doing some safer lifts for straight sets, resting in between, doing some low intense, low to moderate intensity cardio, walking a lot, maybe occasionally doing some hit if you're, uh, if, if you're advanced and not a super stressed out person. And, and that's it. If you want to lift 
till you're 50, 60, 70 years old. And if you want to not feel beat down, you don't want to have hormone problems and imbalances, just all things to consider. And I know some people, I actually know some people who love CrossFit and that's fine, but I just think there's a better way. And if I can get, if someone wants to argue that CrossFit's a good workout modality for regular people, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear it. I just think that I have some pretty good arguments as to why it's not. And I could talk for hours about CrossFit, but I will end that question there and go to the next one. If I only have 30 minutes to work out, what should I do? You can get a great workout in 30 minutes. I would not on the topic of CrossFit. I wouldn't recommend for the most, for most of the time doing some crazy 30 minute circuit where you can try and combine like strength training and cardio and Olympic lifting and deadlifts and all that. I would, if you have 30 minutes each day to work out, oh my goodness, there's so much you can do. If you have 30 minutes every day available to work out, I recommend every other day you do a full body strength workout. So you can do two hard sets for each muscle group, maybe three of, for example, squats, Romanian deadlifts, push-ups or like dumbbell presses and some sort of row. You can even throw in like a superset at the end of arms or shoulders or calves, whatever you, you whatever you want to work on. I would shorten the rest periods a bit and you can also superset. So for example, if you're doing uh, upper body, you could do like, you could superset dumbbell bench press with dumbbell rows or machine rows or whatever that may be. So basically you do your set of say five to 10 reps, you rest about 30 to 45 seconds, then you go do the other exercise. So while you're doing your back exercise, your chest is resting. And that's, that's a good way to get, be more efficient with your workout time and get more done in less time. You can also do straight sets and shorten the rest periods. It's kind of just whatever it, whatever works for you. Um, and then the days that you don't lift, do a either a 30-minute low-intensity cardio session, whatever that may be, you know, easy jog, bike, row, Stairmaster, whatever you prefer for cardio. Um, and then one of those days, I recommend doing some, like, strength-based uh, carries, sled drags, sled pushes, hill sprints. Um, you can kind of be creative with it. You don't need more than you can get a great workout. in if you have now, if you have 30 minutes, like twice a week, yeah, it's still better than nothing, but it's harder to get as many results. If you have 30 minutes for say six days a week. So you say you do, you take Sunday off. So you do Monday strength train, full body Tuesday hill sprints for, and hill sprints are quick. Hill sprints take less than 30 minutes. So you could do like a hill sprints and then a mobility or something like that. Wednesday, another full body workout. You might be a little tired from hill sprints, so maybe like an upper body focused full body workout where you do a little bit of lower body, but mostly upper body. Thursday, slow, like low intensity, heart rate 115 to 140, bike ride, row, whatever, whatever you want to do. Friday, another full body workout, but today we'll make it a little bit more lower body focused. Um, and then Saturday, maybe like 
you might have longer than 30 minutes, but if you still only have 30 minutes, like throw a backpack on, go for a walk in the woods, throw a little bit of weight in the backpack, go for a walk in the woods. Rucking's awesome. Just walking, you don't even need to throw a weighted backpack on. Just walking is great. Or you can do more cardio. Or you can do, um, if you have access to sleds or something to carry, heavy stuff to carry, whether it's farmer's carries, front rack carries, overhead carries. Um, I think carries are some of the most underrated exercises you can do. And you can be creative with them. You don't have to use a shit ton of weight. Uh, But carrying things and pushing and pulling sleds are incredible. Um, If you can get to push and pull a sled or pull a sled sideways, walking sideways, crossing your legs over, or even just side shuffling, that's awesome too. So be creative with it and you can easily get a great workout done in 30 minutes. Um, You just got to be efficient. You can't waste a lot of time. Like I highly recommend not looking at your phone during in between sets stuff like that get a playlist where you don't have to touch it if you're if you listen to music because that can be a distraction and this i mean i i really prioritize working out so i make sure i have longer than 30 minutes to work out 99.9% of the time so but whenever i whenever i spend too much time on my phone i don't get as good of a workout and so i'm not saying i'm immune to it i'm just i kind of recommend not not touching your phone as as much as possible during your workouts. So 30 minute workouts are great. Even 20 minutes, if you only have 20, it's way better than doing nothing, I promise. And a lot of people have this all or nothing mentality where like, oh, can't get my 90 minute freaking chest, back and arms day in, not gonna work out at all. Well, that's that's a terrible mistake. Um, you can get a phenomenal workout in, in way less time. All right, next question. We have two left. If I'm inconsistent, what workout split should I follow? So workout split basically means just what body parts you're training each day. There are several different splits you can do. You can do a full body split, which I kind of just talked about. You can do a push-pull leg split, which is kind of more advanced, higher volume. You can do upper-lower split. You can do a body part split where you have like chest day, back day, arm day, shoulder day, leg day. I don't recommend that for most people, but you can actually go about that in a smart way, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, But if you're inconsistent, 100%, you should follow a, first of all, good on you for admitting that you're inconsistent and knowing that a lot of people are not willing to admit that shit, and they don't make any progress ever. So, But if you are inconsistent and willing to admit it, you should definitely follow a full body split because even if you only get one day of lifting in or maybe two and you're supposed to get four or whatever at least you hit at least you touched each body part for both days now if you're following like a body part split and you only get two days in and you get chest day and back day in well your shoulders arms and legs are not going to get work that week so you're you're neglecting them so definitely a full body split now I I just touched on it. This isn't really the question, but the body part split, the chest day, back day, arm day, shoulder day, all that stuff gets a really bad rap, but you can actually make it work pretty well, but it's going to be more of like a chest plus day, a back plus day, et cetera. So instead of just doing chest on chest day, maybe you can do, say it's Monday. So international chest day, you got chest day. 
you go in, you do your, your chest workouts, you maybe hit some triceps a little bit because triceps are pushing muscles. And then maybe you hit like a, um, some sort of posterior chain exercise, whether it's an RDL or a stiff leg deadlift or back extension, whatever. So you're hitting your, you're hitting your hamstrings or in your glutes on day one. So day two, you go in for, uh, for back day, for pull day. So you hit your back, maybe a little bit of biceps, and then maybe one or two sets of quads, for example. So you're doing like maybe some pendulum squats, some leg press, some lunges. So you're hitting your quads. Wednesday, take a day off because you just hit quads because Thursday's leg day. So you're going to hit legs. So you're going to hit like a full-on leg day. Maybe throw in a little bit of arms or extra calves or whatever muscle you feel like you're weak in. Um, so that's leg day, shoulder day, shoulder day. You can add more, uh, you can add like a chest exercise or two also. So you're hitting that chest, that second chest day per week, but it's a shoulder focus day. And then finally arm day, you can also throw in, um, either some more calf stuff, some more, um, isolation type chest exercises, some body weight stuff, some pull-ups. So basically you're hitting every muscle group twice per week, which Studies are kind of mixed on whether that's important or not. More important is total volume, total sets per week. But for most people, I recommend hitting the body, trying to hit body parts at least twice a week. Um, so even though you have each day focused on one muscle group, you're still getting extra volume in for the other ones. Hopefully that makes sense. But overall, if you're inconsistent, definitely a full body split. Um, a great split that I have, a great uh, program that I have on terminatortraining.com is the kickstart program. It's great for beginners. It's also great for people who don't have a lot of time. And it's also great for people who are inconsistent. You can, if you know you're only going to get to the gym once or twice that week, you just pick one day and, and you do that workout. You're hitting pretty much every body part every day. So number eight, final question. Should I use the sauna for short session sessions or stay in for a longer one. So I recommend two different methods and you can kind of choose whichever one you want. You can either do a one longer session. Now, if you have a dry, if you have access to a dry sauna that gets really, really hot, like 180 to 210 degrees, a long session for that is probably not going to be any longer than, I don't know, maybe if you're, if you can stay in for longer than 20 minutes, you're an animal. Um, so that's a long session for that. If you have an infrared sauna, which most people who have saunas at their house, like I have an infrared sauna and it doesn't get that hot. It, it doesn't get as nearly as hot as a dry sauna. You still sweat a lot, but it's easier to stay in longer. So I would say like a 30 to 60 minute session for, for an infrared sauna and ensure that you're hydrating while you're in the, in the sauna as well. And then the, op, the other option would be to um, for short, if you want to take shorter sessions, you alternate between sauna and extreme cold, whether that be a cold shower, an ice bath, whatever it may be. Um, so you go in the sauna, for example, for 10 minutes, you get out, you're super sweaty and you immediately get really, really cold. You either hop in an ice bath for two to five minutes and then you go back in the sauna or you hop in the shower for maybe a little longer because showers aren't nearly as bad as ice baths, cold showers. Um, and then you get back in the sauna and you just go back and forth. I like that too. That's great for recovery. 
Um, one time that shouldn't be done is if you're going in at night, you don't want to take cold showers in the evening because they really, they give you, if you do this a few times, you're going to notice afterwards you feel amazing and you feel like so much energy and like so much motivation. So those are the two methods as far as like, should I go in the sauna in the morning and then maybe again later in the evening? I don't think they're, I, I think that's kind of redundant. I think it's kind of overkill. Um, I would just find it. You're, you're probably better off just maybe going in fewer days per week if you don't have time, but for a longer time than, you know, 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening. And I don't have a lot of stuff. I don't have any studies to back that up. And I don't know if that's correct. So someone fact check me on that if, if you'd like. But that's just my opinion. I would just go in when you have like plenty of time. And it can, it can only be if, if it's only one to three times a week, that's totally fine. If you want a ton of good information about heat, exposure to heat, like deliberate exposure to heat, so saunas, hot tubs, etc., I highly recommend listening to the Huberman Lab podcast. Andrew Huberman is a Stanford professor and a neuroscientist, and he's super duper smart, and he has some amazing information on his podcasts. The amount of free information this dude gives out is insane, so I highly recommend listening to that podcast. It's his most recent one. And I recommend listening to several of his podcasts because they're awesome. Uh, that is the last question of the day. That's going to wrap it up. Hope everyone enjoyed it. And if you want to send your question into me, I highly recommend subscribing to my newsletter. If you go to my website, terminatortraining.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom and sign up for my newsletter. Every time I send a newsletter out, it, there's an option for a Q&A. So I highly recommend doing that. And I send out uh, periodic newsletters that just include, like give, give you guys updates, helpful hints on what, what's going on, recent content I've put out, etc. Um, I, I'd also love for you guys to follow me on Instagram at Terminator underscore training. I try to post at least four or five times a week and I try to make, I try to post stuff that's actionable and actually helpful to people, whether it's exercise, uh, tips or advice, nutrition. Anytime I do a blog on my website, I always update my social media. And then anytime I put a podcast out, I'll also put it on my social media. So give me a follow and I would also I would also really appreciate a, uh, a good re- uh, review on Spotify. I don't even know if you can do that, but like at least like my podcast or recommend it to a friend. That would be really highly appreciated. And then if you follow me on Instagram, be looking for my stories because I usually record a podcast each weekend and I will put a Q&A that I answer in my stories and then I also answer the questions on the podcast. So... Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you guys have a phenomenal weekend. Until next time, Terminator out.
So you're finishing your last meal, you're not drinking any more alcohol, and the two means no more work, so you're done working for the day. You're getting the stress, you're, you're mitigating the stress that may be coming from your workout two hours prior to bed. The one is no more screens, which I've already mentioned all the downsides of looking at screens earlier. And the zero is my favorite one, the amount of times you'll press snooze. Pressing snooze, I could go on, I could probably do an entire episode of why pressing snooze is not good for you as an adult, but let's just leave it as, as an adult, you set your alarm for when you want to wake up, and then you wake up. You don't press snooze. You don't let your day control you from the very get-go. Not only do you get better sleep when you set your alarm for one time and get get up at that time, but who who really thinks that getting woken up every nine minutes in the morning is going to make you feel more rested? It's not. Pressing snooze just means you're a little bit mentally weak and that you need to really think about what you're doing and just get the fuck up out of bed. So no pressing snooze and you'll probably see me and hear me talk more about that in the future, but it's off the table. So finally, everyone's favorite, but the least important of all of these things, supplements, sleep supplements. So Generally speaking, unless you have severe sleep issues, prescription and over-the-counter sleep aids or medications are generally a bad idea. <clears throat> they should be a last resort, and they're going to lead to, A, you're not going to sleep as well. You're not going to get as much quality sleep. You may be asleep for a longer time, but you're not going to feel rested because when you artificially induce sleep, by using medications, you're not going through the all the, the important stages of sleep as well as you could be. So I don't recommend that, but if you have a doctor, which I'm not, if you have a doctor recommends you use a, a prescription sleep medication or an over-the-counter one, I mean, you do you. But there are some natural supplements that can really help. One of them is magnesium glycinate. So... There's several types of magnesium, but magnesium glycinate is the best one for sleep. It helps you relax, helps you de-stress, calms you down, and is a game changer. I just take that like with dinner time. And different doses work differently for different people, so you'll kind of have, a, have to experiment a little bit. But that is a huge one. Most people are magnesium deficient, and just supplementing with it can be a game changer. Another one is melatonin. So for the most part, I don't recommend melatonin nightly, but you can take it occasionally. And also most over-the-counter melatonin that you buy is way overdosed. So you're literally at the very most, you want to be taking one milligram at the very most, probably significantly less than that, one mil less than one milligram. And a lot of the doses you'll find from the over-the-counter stuff are like three milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams more melatonin is not better. So just keep that in mind. And I also do not recommend to use that every night, only on some nights. If you've changed time zones recently, or if you are a shift worker, 
or situations like that, you may have to use it more often, but for the most part, I wouldn't become reliant on it because your body produces it on its own. And if you follow all these steps, it should produce more of it. Chamomile, you can do that in a tea. You can take chamomile capsules. I don't like the tea because it warms me up and I don't like to be warm at night. And like I mentioned earlier, <laughs> being you want your body temperature to drop at night. So if chamomile warms you up, just take it in capsule form. It's also not super necessary, but it can help you relax. Ashwagandha is an herbal supplement that you can take to lo lower cortisol, which makes you feel less stressed out, which will help you relax and get to bed. So there's another one called Finaboot, which is a more intense kind of gray area type supplement that some people use if they have like really bad insomnia and it works pretty well from what I have read and heard. I've never used it, but that's another one that you want to look a lot more into. I'd probably ask your doctor about that one. <clears throat> and it's also not something to use nightly. Uh, it stays in your system for a long time. So that's something you use like every few nights. So glycine's another one. If you're taking magnesium glycinate, you don't really need glycine. But if not, glycine can help quite a bit. I believe like two to five grams is the the recommended dosage of glycine and that one can help pretty well. I've used it in the past when I didn't have magnesium glycinate and it, it was great. So that's going to wrap it up. I hope that this podcast has helped, you know, clarify why I harp on sleep so much, why I think it's so important. And um, hopefully I gave you guys some good helpful tips in order to improve your own sleep and feel better, perform better, look better, and uh, just go about life better. So stay tuned for another podcast coming up soon. Um, and I hope you guys can take away some sleep improvement tips from this. And I hope you start sleeping better as soon as possible. Till next time, Terminator out.